from UNH Cooperative Extension. This is Overinformed on IPM. Hello, I am Dr. Anna-Kate Wallingford, and I would like to welcome you to my very first podcast episode. I will be releasing episodes on Tuesdays that focus specifically on a key pest of fruits or vegetables or on a general IPM topic. For the most part, I will be covering insect pests. This is my area of expertise, but I do acknowledge an unfair bias towards insects in the field of IPM, so I will do my best to throw in some non-insect pests here and there. I will be calling up my buddies whenever I can to get more in-depth information about past and present research that will fill in the picture. Uh, You'll be hearing their voices in this episode and in episodes to come. My ultimate goal is that you will get informed on what you need to know and a whole lot more. Maybe over-informed on things you don't necessarily think you need to know, but things that might inform how you make pest management decisions in the future. This should be fun. (laughs) Now, my primary audience is commercial fruit and vegetable growers, so several of the topics we discuss may not be appropriate for the home gardener, but I hope everybody finds it interesting to understand all the little things that go into growing our local produce. All right. So this whole podcast series will be dedicated to the practice of integrated pest management. However, I feel that before we start, uh, I need to spend some time talking about the philosophy of integrated pest management. Um, Now, I say philosophy because IPM is kind of a hard thing to nail down. Um, There's a lot of important elements to IPM, lots of moving parts. Actually, I feel that this is such an unwieldy topic. It may require several episodes to cover all the introductory elements. So look forward to that. But where to begin? You could ask 100 IPM specialists what IPM is and get 100 different answers. These definitions might be influenced by where the specialist was when they learned about IPM themselves or who they learned it from. So I thought I would start with my first mentor. My name is Doug Pfeiffer. I'm a a professor of entomology at Virginia Tech. I work on fruit systems, uh, tree fruits, small fruits, uh, and wine grapes. Uh, Originally from Massachusetts uh, and passed through North Carolina and Washington State on the way to Virginia. Well, IBM is uh, integrated pest management. It's uh, uh, really two parts to the, the definition. Uh, integrated means using all available tactics for a, a given cropping system, chemical, biological control, host plant resistance, uh, cultural control, etc. The management part mean, means trying to s- uh, suppress the population uh, to a man, to an acceptable level, below an economically uh, damaging le- level. We're not trying to eliminate all of the insects. This definition has been around for a long time. Uh, however, uh, while we intend to use chemicals as a last resort, uh, a lot of times uh, growers are still using pesticides in every uh, you know, every tank, and uh, it's just a matter of deciding which to, uh, pesticides to put in the tank. We really would like to get back to the the, um, the IPM def- definition of uh, developing a system where pesticides are used as a last resort, only to uh, to 
<laughs> tweak the population, so to speak. So that's a pretty nice description. Um, and although I'm going to bring in a few other voices to discuss important IPM concepts, um, you'll hear some of the same elements you heard from Doug. Integration of multiple tactics. Sometimes you'll hear folks referring to tools in an IPM toolbox. Management of pest populations in relation to some acceptable level, so some threshold pest population. And of course, our relationship with chemical pesticides. Now, IPM isn't all about chemical pesticides, except for the fact that chemical pesticides are part of pretty much every conversation about IPM. And most of the tools in the IPM toolbox are discussed in terms relative to chemical pesticides. Also, IPM as a field of study probably wouldn't be necessary without the development of chemical pesticides. So this concept of pesticides as a last resort is a popular one. And you'll hear this echoed in discussions I had with several of my colleagues. Sure. My name is Dr. Rebecca Schmidt-Jeffress. I'm a research entomologist at USDA ARS in Wapato, Washington. IPM is a combination of many things. Um, so it must be truly integrated, which means taking, taking a systems approach. Um, it must follow that pyramid schema that a lot of people use where you want your preventative tactics to be the base of what you do, the old school USDA nutrition pyramid where the bread used to be and isn't anymore. Um, and you want to have your reactive, and the, and the more reactive it is, the higher up in the pyramid it goes with insecticides at the top. Um, the things that work quick at the very, very top, because they tend to also have the biggest non-target effects on your system. And I'm, I'm Vic Izzo. I'm a lecturer here in, at UVM in the Plant and Soil Science Department. How do you define IPM? For me, it's, it's a toolbox, kind of like you're alluding to also, as opposed to the pyramid that you often see. I see that pyramid all the time, and I want to puke sometimes, because people think of it as like a DEFCON kind of level, where you start at the bottom, and then you move up through the levels and eventually you do your chemical. And if you do it that way, you're never going to solve your problem as, or you're not going to help your problem as opposed to using little bits and pieces of all these different techniques. So my name is Scott Lewins. I am an entomologist. I teach at St. Michael's College and do research with UVM. I think when it was first conceived, you know, IPM is basically just an economic modeling approach. If you have your pest populations below a certain level, then you're not losing money. And so it doesn't make sense to apply pesticides because that costs money until you cross this magical economic injury level and then you start losing money. And, and again, I think that's a really cynical view of IPM. Um, at some point, IPM, it became a buzzword for like reduced pesticide usage. I'd like to emphasize all of the other things that you can do first. Um, like Vic was saying, like you have this toolbox, thinking about how you can tweak the system just enough to get a benefit without too much that you're disrupting. Um, and usually that involves your, your behavior, like a cultural control, as Vic mentioned before, or introducing a biological agent or promoting a biological agent, again, just to get enough benefit where you're not disrupting the system. And then in the end, if you're going to lose money, if you're approaching that 
if you're going to hit that mythical point of losing money, then go ahead and apply a pesticide and lose less money. Now, I don't want you to think that I've juxtaposed those definitions to cast shade on anyone. Rebecca and Vic are in complete agreement about how these things play out in real life. They just have kind of different ways of conceptualizing the balance between different controls. For another take on IPM. My name is Yolanda Chen. I'm faculty based at University of Vermont in the Department of Plant and Soil Science. I think about IPM in, I think, a fundamentally different way than most people, um, because I think where I'm coming from is thinking about the origins of crops and their pests. Most people do not really think about how crops actually originate in far-flung places, uh, in these centers of origin, and they include places like China, Papua New Guinea, India, the, the Andes, where the Incans were, and Mesoamerica, among some of the others. There's also centers in Africa. So we have these crops that are basically aliens in, um, in the U.S. And then what happens, too, is that some of the pests are able to kind of make it a, across, you know, oceans and continents to find our crops here. Um, and then there's other ones that are new pests that shift from feeding on kind of a local weed or something like that to ship onto the crop plants as well. So this idea of integrated pest management for me is to think more around, well, how can we use kind of allies such as natural enemies that are out there that are maybe coexisting? What has happened with that transition, how that pest arrived into these crop fields? And can natural enemies actually make that same transition as well? And if not, what are kind of band-aid remedial solutions that we can use to attempt to reduce the impact on the rest of the community? So something like insecticides is kind of a really blunt hammer that kind of kills everything. The way I see IPM and where it's moving is more kind of to be based in ecology, but to kind of use precise tools available to kind of minimize that disruption on the entire community. So it's not like a scorched earth policy, but instead a kind of a strategic drone strike. And actually this point of view from Yolanda really harkens back to the original mentions of integrated pest management in the literature um, of being a balance between chemical and biological controls. So let's take a look back in history. I'm a jolly old fellow way back in New England where apples and peaches and pumpkins can grow where the girls they are handsome the boys they are likewise. Well before IPM was ever mentioned in the literature, back at the turn of the last century when hybrid corn was a new technology, there was this concept of economic entomology. Essentially, these were techniques developed for farmers by specialists, by nerds like me. Um, a lot of these techniques are still used today and they're important components of IPM, but their intention was um, to help farmers manage insects and to make a living doing it. Post-World War II entomologists brought us the concept of quote-unquote supervised control. 
although all these new chemical insecticides were incredibly powerful tools, they thought, and I think rightly so, that they were far too dangerous for the average American to use willy-nilly and that they should only be used um, or authorized by entomologists, kind of like how certain medications can only be administered by a doctor. Now, pesticides have only gotten safer since time has marched on, and they are strictly regulated by the federal government today. But just imagine if you had to come and see me to get permission to control insects on your farm. I think that would get out of hand really fast. The first mentions of IPM show up in the 50s. Actually, they called it integrated pest control in the United States, and the main focus was on the potential ecological damage insecticides cause to natural enemies of pest insects, so biocontrol, um, and how to use these new chemical tools and biological controls harmoniously. And this was all in terms of economics. They didn't use the term ecosystem services at the time. This term came along a lot later. But um, it seemed like this is what these guys were really driving at, kind of saying, don't kill off the guys who are working for you while, while, while you're using these chemical tools. The term integrated pest control was later replaced by the Australian term integrated pest management. And this was a result of decades-long international debate over terminology, which, truth be told, nobody really cared about at the time. <laughs> these terms were pretty much used interchangeably. Because IPM became to be seen as a check on pesticide use, the concept gained in popularity during a period of American history where we were really just understanding how much of an impact we could have on our environment. Rachel Carson's Silent Spring was published in 1962, where the potential impacts of DDT were brought to the American public. And this was a huge part of the movement that eventually led to the creation of the Environmental Protection Agency, or the EPA. And with the creation of the EPA, our government also created sources of funding to develop IPM programs. Some of these programs still exist today. That's why I'm talking to you right now. That's why I have a job. With this influx of funding came the next big stop in history, um, the Huffaker Projects, which were launched in the 1970s. The Huffaker Project always kind of sounded like a jazz group to me. But in actuality, the Huffaker Project put a bunch of mathematician entomologists to work developing these sophisticated systems where pest monitoring identified economic thresholds, numbers. So these numbers would trigger pest management actions for managing crops like alfalfa, cotton, apples, soybeans, you know, the big commodity crops. Um, even now, computer models and apps are being developed where you plug in a number and a bot spits out a recommendation. Unfortunately, these neat little models don't work in every situation, and sometimes best management practices for one pest are the opposite of the best for another pest. Threshold numbers are important parts of IPM in many systems, but geographic regions can differ in key pests, markets can differ, value systems from farmer to farmer can differ, so it gets complicated really fast. This is why IPM is often referred to as a process rather than a set of rules. Or, for another definition of IPM, probably the simplest definition so far. I am Andrei Alekhin. I am professor of applied entomology at the School of Biology and Ecology at the University of Maine. Uh, I define integrated pest management as uh, uh, people who 
manage pests need to know what they are doing. This is basically the gist of it. There is a number of definitions. Some of them are more academic than others. But to me, basically, it boils down to whether a person knows what is going on and what needs to be done, or the person just does something because uh, everybody is doing it or because it was done for a long time or because sales rep for some company told to do that. So this is not integrated pest management. Integrated pest management actually knowing uh, the system, knowing the problem and knowing the techniques that are being used. So IPM is evidence-based or science-based, um, and it requires a whole lot of knowledge to do it right. Luckily, the government funding that brought us the EPA and the USDA and all these Huffaker project-style modeling systems, it also provided you with extension professionals like me. I'm here to help you wade through the science and find the practical bits and pieces you can apply to your operation so you can grow a crop using the most economically and environmentally sound practices possible. So stay tuned for way more on IPM philosophy, maybe too much more. But before I leave you, a plug for cooperative extension everywhere. No matter where you live in our great nation, you should know that you have someone you can call an extension whose job it is to help you with just about every aspect of your life. Do you want help growing roses in your backyard? Help deciding what to feed your kids? Did you see a bug and you kind of just want to know what it is? Do a search for your local extension professionals and give us a call. I'm serious. Call us. Write us an email. Show up in our offices. Attend the events we organize. We really would just love to hear from you. That's it for now. Thank you to all of my colleagues who have been so kind to help me out with this project. And a very special thanks to Brentwood's favorite son, Jason Lightbound, who wrote and performed our theme music. Informed on IPM is a production of University of New Hampshire Cooperative Extension, an equal opportunity educator and employer. All music is used by permission or by Creative Commons licensing. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the university, its trustees, or its volunteers. Inclusion or exclusion of commercial enterprises in this podcast does not equate endorsement. The University of New Hampshire, New Hampshire counties, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture cooperate to provide extension programming in the Granite State. Learn more at extension.unh.eu.